Our scripture is going to come from the book of Jonah. We started this message series last week. It's a, it's a message series on um, the book of Jonah. Most of us, we say, Jonah, you know one thing. And, and, and honestly, that is such a small part of the total of the story. It's, it's like three verses, or maybe four, about Jonah being in whale, right? Guess what? It's not even a whale, or at least that's not the way it reads. Let me read uh, from the book of Jonah. Uh, let me give you a background real quick. Greg preached on some of this last week, but uh, a little quick background on, on this story, because um, I'm not going to take it from the very beginning of the story, but in this part of it, the part that you're most familiar with, Jonah has heard the call of God, go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, okay? The Assyrians are the ones who first came down. At that point, um, Israel was broken into two different countries, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And the Assyrian Empire came and raided and, and, and just sacked Israel, the northern part. And we don't know exactly when this story took place. It if it was after the Assyrian um, Empire came down or before, but what we know is that the capital city is Nineveh, and the people of Israel both feared and hated the people from Assyria. All right? Feared and hated. And so when the prophet... Jonah is told to go to Nineveh and preach against them. And when we think of prophet, we often think of predictive, right? A prophet predicts things. And that actually wasn't the prophet's job. The prophet's job was to say, you're doing life wrong. Let me tell you how God wants you to do it. And then, if you don't do it right, here's what's going to happen. That's the predictive part. But fundamentally, their job was to say, you're doing this wrong. You're going the wrong way. You're living your life in the wrong way. And, and God is pronounced against you in this. But again, that predictive part is, keep it up, and this is what go, what's going to happen. And the prophets who were right, they get a book in the Bible. When they predicted correctly, eh, not all of them, but many of them end up in the Bible. So Jonah is told by God, go to Nineveh, which is like 12, 1,500 miles through the desert to get there. And Jonah goes, I like the beach better. I'm going to Tarshish. And Tarshish is a word that doesn't really have a town, though that's what we call it. But Tarshish really means port city, all right? We don't know exactly where he was headed, but we know he was getting on a boat. He probably bought paid passageway on a boat. These boats weren't huge. Gets on a boat, assumably in the Mediterranean Sea. They start rowing out to sea, and a storm kicks up. I mean, so bad that the sailors, the seasoned sailors on that boat assumed they were all going to die. And that's where the story picks up beginning at verse 7 of chapter 1. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord 
the God who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? I'm going to try to fix my microphone real quick. Might be a little bit unplugged. <laughs> Sorry. There we go. What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already done, told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Growing up when I was quite a bit younger, a lot younger, um, I, I, I don't know, maybe middle school or so, um, the, the movie Jaws came out for the first time. This is Jaws 1, not 15, 16, and 17. Jaws 1 came out for the first time. And I thought, I'm going to this, and I won't be frightened by it. And there's that scene where there's that boat that's sunk, and that portal window, and that head comes through that window, scared me to death. And later, you, you remember the shark comes popping up out of the water and lands on the boat, scared me to death. I became a scuba diver later, no idea how I ever got the, the guts to go back in the water. That's some scary stuff. Then I saw the movie a second time. Not so scary. And third and fourth, and yeah, I don't know, it's probably on TV, you know, once every three months or so, and you could flip through the channels and you come to the scene and you go, oh yeah, I remember, that's, that's Jaws, and, and go on past it. Over time, things like that become so familiar to you that they don't have an impact on you anymore. So familiar is the movie that you could say, I know what's going to happen next, and, and, and it don't, won't scare you, it won't impact you. It just, it's, it's not as meaningful as it was before. So this is Memorial Day weekend. And as I was growing up, the two most important dates in the calendar year, Memorial Day and Labor Day, now, I grew up in suburban St. Louis area. Why would those two days be the most important? Swimming pools opened and closed. Oh, some of you got it. On Memorial Day, I mean, it was Saturday morning, Memorial Day weekend, 8 a.m., you were getting in the pool. Didn't matter that the water was still 33 degrees. And you were going to stay in the pool until they kicked you out at the end of each day. And you were going to do that every day through the summer until Labor Day, 8 p.m. Monday night. 
when they kicked you out and you were no longer allowed to come back to the pool until Memorial Day weekend the next year. And so for my, me, my family, um, we didn't have anybody who had uh, died in war, um, not that was a close family member, at least not until around the Revolutionary War time going way back then, but we didn't have anybody who had died in war. And so that Memorial Day, we didn't have anybody that was in a union either, not in my family, that, no. So th- those two holidays had no meaning to me other than pool opens. And I wonder if, like, like Jaws, if the holiday, Memorial Day, has for us become, yeah, I know what it is, and we just go on with our life. And we have a three-day weekend, we get the barbecue. You know, it was, it, there was a, a general coming out of the Civil War that asked people to remember the war dead. He was the first one to to ask the people to remember the war dead, and they had what they called Decoration Day on May 30th, where people were asked to go to the grave sites of war dead and decorate their tombstones. And that was the first celebration of Memorial Day. Some people argue about when this happened and where this happened, but that was the first celebration of Memorial Day. And it wasn't until 1971, after I was long, after I was swimming in those pools that I grew up around, uh, 1971, that the government made it official that it's the fourth Monday of the year, of, of the May, that we celebrate Memorial Day. And how many of us have it in our plans for tomorrow to mark a moment to remember the death of those who have died for the sake of freedom, have died in service to their country. Not only freedom for us, but freedom for other countries as well. Not many of us have that in our plan, and I I know there are some who have family members who have died in, in war, but most of us It's a distant memory, and Memorial Day is not about war dead. That part of it has become so familiar that it's just not that important to us any longer. Today's also Pentecost Sunday. And, and I know that most Christians really don't know what that is until I read a little bit of Scripture, okay? So let me, let me do that. Pentecost. Pentecost, penta means 50, and Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. Passover is the time where Jesus is crucified and then resurrected three days later. So Pentecost is 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion, about 10 days after he ascends into heaven. And so... In, in Acts chapter 2, we read these words. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The people who were following Jesus at that point, after he had ascended into heaven, the people who were still following Jesus were all gathered together like church, only they were scared. They were scared because, I mean, their, their leader was killed. What would happen to them? Suddenly, A sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Now, I think, I, I think that, that many of us, when we think about what is Pentecost and how it relates to the church, many of us will think about either when we were kids or our own kids. I, I, I was ready. I was prepared for I didn't know what they were going to do in children's ministry today, and I was prepared for this to happen. And thankfully, it didn't because I would have laughed all through communion, um, which is probably not the right moment. Um, so anyway, you took a piece of construction paper, right? A, a strip of construction paper, and you stapled to it something that looked like flames, and you colored it, and then they wrapped it around your head and stapled it to your, I mean, stapled it together so that, that, that you could have these tongues of fire, and you get out of Sunday school, and your dad would go, what in the world do you have on your head? And that might be as deep as we go. But Pentecost is such a, a vital and important part, an important part of the holiday of, of the Christian year because it's on Pentecost that God sends his spirit to invest God's whole self into people who consider themselves children of God, followers of Jesus Christ. God is going to invest himself into each and every one of us so that we can go from here and change the lives of people who haven't heard about Jesus yet. That's what, that's what the Pentecost story is about. God investing himself in you, empowering you and enabling you to speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that will be relevant and meaningful and acceptable to other people. How do I know this? Well, well, in that story of Pentecost, when the Spirit comes upon the people, you know, we, we tend to relegate it to the, the, the uh, uh, Pentecostal people. But in Pentecost, it says that the people were able to speak in tongues. And, and so we, we think that means a language that we don't understand. But it's, it means that they were able to speak in a way that people that didn't speak the Hebrew or Aramaic they were speaking could understand. Because the story tells us that there were people from all over the place who were there. All foreigners from every far-flung country were there in Jerusalem. And they were able to step out and share the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that changed their lives of those people. So much so. So much did it change their life that Peter then steps out in boldness and he shares a, a sermon. And, and every pastor has hated this story ever since. Let me tell you why. Let me, so Acts 2.41, we don't hate it. We just severely challenged by it. After Peter is done preaching, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I'd take two. 3,000. Because the message was delivered in a way that God had empowered the people to share in a way that impressed, in a way that invited, and in a way that was acceptable, and they could accept the message of Jesus Christ for themselves. And God still today invests himself in all the people of God who choose to receive that and to go into the world and try and change lives in the way we were created and enabled and empowered to do. 
And as you think about that, you know, there, there's that great um, uh, uh, phrase that's it's accredited to uh, St. Francis of Assisi, though somebody argues, some people argue that it wasn't his, doesn't matter. The phrase is good. And that is preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Not if necessary, when. Because there comes a point where you are living your life as faithfully as you possibly can, and people, somebody's going to ask why. And you're going to share your story, the one you're an expert about, not somebody else's. doesn't have to be the biblical story, just the story that you're an expert on. And the story you're an expert on is the story of your life and how Jesus has made a difference. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. So that's what Pentecost is about. So you've got, you've got Memorial Day, and you've got Pentecost, and then I'm preaching on Jonah. And Jonah fits into this whole thing so well because, because Jonah's going, um, God, I, I know you want me to go there, but I'm going here because I'm going to do what's comfortable, what's easy, what I can coast on. I just want to sit in the comfy chairs on Sunday. Don't challenge me to go beyond that. John Wesley, who uh, uh, founder of what we understand as Methodism, uh, he didn't start it as a church. He started it as a, a movement in churches to help people become stronger in their faith. And, and, and Wesley, um, uh, as these groups, these Methodist groups began to form all over England first and then the New World and then all over Europe, he began to give them rules on how to live their life, and he gave three general rules. Now, Wesley wanted just, let me just give you three rules. Now, Wesley was pretty obsessed with rules, and so he probably had like 82 bullet points under each rule, but three, generally three rules. I'm going to give you the third one because I'm really not preaching on that, and, and I forgot to give it at the last service, and people are coming out the door going, nice sermon, Pastor, what's number three? So let me give you the three, the number three, and that is, um, we translate it today as stay in love with God. It means through prayer, through Bible study, through devotion, through um, uh, uh, meditation, through whatever, through worship, whatever, communion, whatever you do that connects you with God, stay in love with God. Wesley's words were, attend upon the ordinances of God. Same thing, okay? So, rule one. Rule one, do no harm. Do no harm. For us, what that means is, don't break the top ten. And maybe a little bit beyond that, right? I, there's ten commandments, I, I think I can keep them. God bless it, I missed one. Oh, I, there, I broke another one. Stay with the tent. Can we, can we just not hurt anybody today? Can we just be kind enough to not hurt someone? Or for Jonah it is, can I just stay here in the comfort of Jerusalem and shout as loud as I can 1,500 miles away and hope Nineveh hears me say, shame on you! Would that be doing no harm as best I can? Can I stay comfortable? But Wesley gives us a second rule, and that is do all the good you can. First, do no harm, and then do all the good you can. It's not enough that we, that we 
back off on the Ten Commandments and not violate any of those. But we got to go beyond that as followers of Jesus Christ. And going beyond that means God, in, since Pentecost, has invested himself in you to make a difference in the lives of other people. And God had invested himself in Jonah to go and change the lives of people in Nineveh. Mind you, we hate Ninevites, Assyrians, and they're trying to kill us. But God said to Jonah, look, I've, I've invested myself in you so that you can do this. And what does Jonah do? Heads to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. Gets on a boat. No desert for me. I'm going to the water. I'm going to the beach where it's comfortable. And you know what happens when he does that? People around him get hurt. Right? Now, I don't want to carry that part of the metaphor too far. Because I don't believe today that God punishes other people when we don't do our job. But I do know that when we don't do all the good we can, people die and die without benefit of Christ. Living Word uh, got invested in a mission in Ghana years and years ago. By the way, um, effective this year, we are over $2 million invested in this ministry in, in Ghana. And what we do, a part of what we do is we dig wells and what our, um, for fresh water, for clean water. And what our missionary over there told us was that she witnessed that communities where we put a well, before the well, when they were drinking unsafe water, the mortality rate before the age of six was 60%. 60% of children died before the age of six because dysentery kills children. Bad water and disease and worms and everything else kills children. When we put in a well that completely changed, we began saving lives, physically saving lives, actually saving lives. Doing the good we can saves lives. But we're also partnered with some people over there in Ghana that are part of the Methodist Church in Ghana. They're not United Methodists, it's a different group, but, but still, um, it just happened that we got involved with the Methodist Church in Ghana. And, and I love the story of, of one of our locations. Um, we dug a well. And um, the pastor there had three different churches to go to on a Sunday. And um, on Sunday morning, he would, he would get on his bike uh, at first. and He got a motorcycle later, but he'd get on his bike in, in Sandema, and he would ride to, I don't remember which the next town over was, um, but on his way, he'd pass by that well. So he's headed to the next church, but he passed by that well and see people there getting water in a community that has no church. And so he'd stop and talk with them. And so then we built them a church. The souls are changing as well. The souls are being saved as well. Not just the physical lives, but, but the souls of people. And it's not just in Ghana. It's everywhere. It's all around. We, we just did a book fair in, in uh, Merrimack School uh, um, recently, Merrimack School down in the city, and what we know is that, that there's a direct connection between reading levels and, and adult incarceration. We're saving lives when we give kids books. 
and teach them to read. But they also know it's coming from a church, and they may never meet most of us. We can't speak the good news there at the church. We're, we have to back off of that, but they do know it comes from a church, from people who love Jesus. There's so many more ways that it's not just the organized ways of the church, but, but it, it is in, in, in the disorganized ways of the church. No, it's in the, uh, the, the regular parts of our life where, where we're called upon to first, don't harm anyone, but second, to go above and beyond and maybe even to Nineveh, maybe even to a place that's uncomfortable, maybe even to a people that we're suspect of, whether it is lifestyle, whether it is upbringing, whether it is ethnicity or whatever it is, somehow we're suspect of. And we're called to enter into their lives to transform them, not only their physical health, but, but save them. I should back off that. I should say, present the gospel so that Jesus can save them. So it's an eternal salvation, not only a physical salvation. Oh, gosh, let's not become so familiar with stories like Jonah's and only relegate it to a whale and three days in the belly. Oh, that we recognize that that's such a small part. That's in chapter one. We've got three more chapters to go in that book. Oh, that we wouldn't allow that small part to become so familiar that we forget that Jonah was sent by God to make a difference in other people's lives even people that he was uncomfortable being around. And as we remember that, remember that in Pentecost, God has invested God's self in each and every one of us to do exactly the same thing. Amen and amen.